best friend a his dark materials podcast in which we discuss the his dark materials hbo show uh with me are steph hello bajaya hi and sarah hello governor and we are all speaking cockney accents apparently which is terrifying it felt appropriate for this episode <laughs> oh, sorry but maybe sexy oi christina don't know if, I think if you hate lower class British accents, you did not get through the TV show episode and therefore are not listening right now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so you're not even listening to this. I, we, I promise I won't do it. So the first episode we're going to be discussing is called Spies. Um, it is the third episode uh, and we are in the world of His Dark Materials now. We're with Lyra as she's with... Mrs. Coulter, and then with the Egyptians, and experiencing all of the sneaking around with her, and also with all the other characters who seem to have a lot of hidden motives. Uh, So we're going to jump right in, and let's see what we all thought about the episode. Steph? Yeah, I mean, I I really liked the episode. Uh, It was not filler in the sense that like nothing happened because things happen, but we got quite a lot of information too, which was really good. Like we learned, like Lyra learned more about her dark past and we learned about the Egyptians. We learned how the alethiometer works. So we actually, (laughs) we got quite a bit of information. Oh, we learned about Stanislaus Grumman. We learned about what? We got quite a bit of information this episode, but it also felt like it really advanced. Like it very much advanced the plot and moved it forward. So Sarah? Wait, we learned about what? Stem's lost Groman? Stanislaus Groman, the the hot priest oh, from Hot Priest. Okay. From Fleabag. I actually had no Okay, so what I was <laughs> hot my Hot Priest. Well, yeah, hot hot priest slash Moriarty. Moriarty. I yeah. did write that in my notes because I was very yeah. excited. Um my problem was we did get a lot of information, but none of it was in any way connected or made any sense to me. This is the only this is the first episode where I felt truly like why do I care about any of this? What does any of this mean? It's- Why are they going north? <laughs> I don't really care about the alethiometer. It seems like it's really easy for something that takes years to study. Um, who is Moriarty? He came up in Jordan College. I don't remember him ever coming up. <laughs> I don't know. There, I had so many questions this episode. I was just like, I don't know what's going on. This is the first episode where I felt very lost. This was like <laughs> watching Game of Thrones with Josh after having read all the books. He's like, I don't understand, yeah. like, like the expo- exposition episodes. It's like, what is happening? It was really info dumpy. That's, yeah, it was a lot of exposition with, with, for me, not a lot of connective tissue. So I didn't really know what was happening. I mean, I knew, I knew what was happening because there was not a lot happening in the episode, but I didn't know why each piece of exposition was important to me. So I was like, what do I pay attention to and what do I care about? Because what's going to be, I'm assuming all this is going to be important, but I, it was like I had all these puzzle pieces, but like they were all, you know, it was like it was like doing a puzzle of like a sky and a mountain and a lake. But I had just a piece of the lake and just a piece of a cloud and like a tree. And I was like, I don't know how any of these go. <laughs> yeah, together. I mean, I think it was 
maybe a little overwhelming. You, you were reading the alethiometer of the episode and you don't have the books. <laughs> I was, exactly. <laughs> Except I did not study for years and it did not click. So I was going to say that um, it was an exposition heavy um, uh, episode, but at the same time, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> That's it. No, but it set things up. It did, because... At the end of the episode, we had a very distinct, this is what's happening next. It didn't go anywhere, but it's telling us that it'll go somewhere eventually. Well, yeah, because the fact that you said nothing happened, and Mm -hmm. when I was watching the show, I was like, a lot of things happened in this episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they were were on boats a lot. It kind of felt like a bottle episode. Like, they're just like, we only have boats to film on this episode, guys, so make it all happen on boats. And make it all happen in boats in tiny little rooms that feel like you're being trapped. True, true. Very true. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is slightly, though, you're supposed to feel a little bit frustrated because cause like Lyra, like we're kind of cooped up, right? And you just want to like do something or go somewhere. And she's, you know, she's gone from being cooped up in Mrs. Coulter's to now cooped up on these boats. And you just want to do something. You want something to happen, but you're like stuck. Yeah. I, well, I mean, something does happen. Lyra gets to play with fire on a boat and make explosions on, you know, in a wooden kitchen. So that was great. Makasta. yeah there was that one scene where they had like a huge rally and i was like okay that's like the size of like the qe2 right it was a little bit a show made by people who have never been on a boat before Mm -hmm. and also never lived in a small apartment for that matter yeah okay those boats are enormous like there's no yeah, way. Yeah, they, they were. He was doing that speech at one point, and I was thinking that would be no. There, those are barges, but even then, I was like, that would be literally the size of that river. There's like, it would not be. It would be a huge boat. Like I understand that you you can't accurately portray a boat as a film set because there's not enough room. But like, have y'all ever been on boats that size? Like, there everything is tiny and cramped. Yes. Like. And they have like those boats are bigger than my fucking house, like in the on the inside. <laughs> yeah, a bucket or a hole, it just goes straight into the water. Yeah, this is and this is pre this is this is indeterminate time period England. They don't care about sanitation. Yeah, like that place has like ten foot like arched ceilings, like before the great toilet. Where do they poop? Because I've been on big boats, just off the side. You, because. <laughs> I've been on big boats and... It's England. Everybody poops in buckets. Like the queen does. Off the side. Ugh. What is happening? And there was a lot of... There was a lot of space for all the exposition. It was it was very strange. I was like, why is this mom teaching this person this? This is not a <laughs> good idea. Was that blown up powder or was that just like flour? Ex- yes. I also would like to know that. I think it was... I think it was like flash powder or some kind of exploding powder that's going to be really plot relevant. At some point. Right. And also, I also think it was trying to sh- to sort of like shoehorn in like, this is this woman's going to feel like she needs to tell this person about her dark past because she feels a connection that to was her. A very like she's weird a daughter. Scene. You know, it was like a real quick bonding moment. I think, yeah, like that was, I feel like really kind of shoehorned in to explain when Lyra like flashbangs somebody in a few episodes. I don't understand why. And a lot of talk about her being the chosen one and how special she is and she's super Mm, special so she needs to set everything on fire which i don't disagree but it was forced 
a little bit. Everybody loves Lyra so quickly. I don't know. You could tell me a kid was prophesized and I'd still be like, he's probably an asshole until I meet him. Yeah. I mean, she's supposed to be a bit of a brat. But yeah. yeah. Treating her like, yeah. Like that kid thinks child. he deserves the world. I don't like that. Because nobody, like, not everybody knows the prophecy. Yeah. They made it very general. The Egyptians, I guess. Yeah. Not everyone's supposed to know, but it seems yeah. like everyone is like, oh my God. I mean, Lyra. she comes by it honestly, it seems. Look at Harry Potter. I mean, we hate on Harry Potter all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Harry, Potter's, Harry Potter's the worst character in Harry Potter. So. That's mean. <laughs> Lyra's not supposed to be the worst character. Like, she's supposed to be petulant and a little different yeah. and difficult. She, um, like, they don't go into it in this show, but at, at one point in Lyra's past, she almost, uh, she and a bunch of feral Oxford children took over Ma Costa's boat and they were trying to sink it. That's right. That's true. Yeah. So she's supposed to be someone who we're not supposed to like automatically be rooting for as the golden child and the Harry Potter of demon land. Yeah. She's just supposed to be some girl who accidentally happens into a lot of this stuff. And she figures it out because she's a kid. Right. And she gave that speech that I thought was, Fine. Yeah, that, that speech was a little unnecessary. I was like, okay, how is that going to inspire anyone? I mean, I have a whole thought about that whole part, but I was just like, okay. I will say they're not laying that part on super heavy-handed. I feel like they're they're not, like, mentioning prophecy and stuff a lot. But yeah, they just keep calling her special and, and important and... Yeah, having her give a rousing speech. I mean, I don't listen to 12-year-olds when they talk. Yeah, right. That's the other thing, too. It was the speech a 12-year-old would give, but suddenly, like, all of these grown-ass adults were like, yeah! Yeah, they were really kind of reaching on that one. Also, I don't know why they were cheering. Yeah. And, like, most of it was, like, making it about herself. (laughs) Like, she was like, we have to go find my friend Roger... And uh, my mom sucks. And she's supposed to be friends with these Egyptian kids. What about the other kids? I mean, presumably their parents care about them. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me like there should have been a speech in the first place. Like, they needed to get kids back. That's not super controversial. Like, I know they had that guy playing devil's advocate, but... Well, that's... So, my, my thing was... Uh, I actually made a note about that, because I said the Egyptian king, because he calls himself the king, I don't it know. It was like a council uh, Delivers a rousing speech, but it doesn't mean anything to me, because I don't... It's not clear to me what's happening. <laughs> I was like, yeah. they want to go to the north, because kids are getting stolen, but he's doing this huge whole speech, and I'm like, is there something more that I'm supposed to be getting? He mentioned witches, it's and I was like, boring, that sounds though. cool, but then... I didn't really learn more about it, but I just didn't, I wasn't clear, it wasn't clear to me why he was delivering this rousing speech and why, uh, why they mm. needed to head north. I mean, other than the witches, I guess, is that why they needed to head north? <laughs> well, the kids are in the north. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they needed, it seemed like they needed to give him he, something he just, to he do. He just, they just said, he mentioned witches. Yeah. The witches will come up later. No, have we met them? No, no, we haven't met them. No, we haven't met anyone. Yeah, they're coming. Hmm. But they, the speech about getting the kids back, they, it seems like they really want to give everyone an emotional beat and it's not time yet. Like, but yeah, so, so he delivered a rousing speech, like you're saying, and I don't know, to me, I just, I wasn't sure why he was trying to, I, I understand that 
the kids are being taken north, but... I don't think... Do they know that at that point? Everybody's known that for a while, so I wasn't sure why he had to convince them that they should go north. I don't know. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me, and I wasn't clear why everybody was like, yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah, so no witches yet, but um, John Fa and Fodder Coram, they have to seem like authorities, and so giving them this space gives them a chance to, like, expound on that later, but it doesn't seem super earned. Right, it wasn't, it wasn't a, like, this is not that day speech, you know, it wasn't moved to tears or anything. Right, yeah, the third episode is not the place for you to have your last stand. I just figured, I thought there was something else I was missing, because I wasn't feeling very moved, you know? No, I, I didn't feel strong emotions about, I still don't feel strong emotions about most of the cast, except Mrs. Coulter, probably, and Lyra a little bit. Yeah. Like, nobody else is going to do it, so... We don't really need that yet. Yeah. They're investigating kids. Like, yes, go get your kids. No one is saying that getting your kids is a bad thing. That's kind of obvious. Um, and they, they also used it as an opportunity for more exposition, yeah. Mm. They're also kind of focusing on John Fa, but not giving him a lot of backstory. So they have to give him... It feels like they have to give him this moment, but we don't care about this moment. It's, it's a, a bit of an odd choice because he's supposed to have all of this amazing gravitas. He's supposed to be this amazing character. Yeah. I think it's, they're also, they're also trying to I think build a kind of emotional arc for John Fa a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, because there's that scene later with Fader Coram where Fader Coram is like, you're going to do it, buddy. Um, Cause in, yeah, in the book, John Fa is like, instantly has his gravitas and everybody is like on board with what he says and does and he doesn't need to try as hard i think but again that's harder to convey in a tv show it isn't it um, isn't and because he he does end up it being a fairly primary character you do yes. want to build yeah, in some so sort of great. emotional arc for him um so i think they're they're doing some kind of leadership thing for him i kind of wish that they had cast andre bauer then i just imagine you saying bone which is his, which is Andre Bauer's best line as Captain Holt. Right, exactly. He would have been such a great... Uh, I mean, like, I don't have a problem with this actor. I think he's doing a good job with the material. But, like, imagine Andre Bauer in this role with just his, <laughs> his deep voice and his greetings all. It would be so great. And it, he has that immediately. Uh, I did want to throw this out there. Um, I know we talked about, like, diversity in the show last time. Um... And in the book, Father Coram is like, he is a big, like, aspect of it in the first book, but John Fa is supposed to be, like, this big, loud figure that has confidence Wait, in which one is which? Um, and in this episode, he is kind of, like, diminished a little bit. And okay. in the show, in, in the scene where Father Coram talks okay. to John Fa, John Fa is, like, kind of shot in a way that he looks smaller and Father Quorum is like, you have to do this shit. Yeah. Um, the black not guy. Not like a hearty, not like a hearty gentleman yeah. as he is Father in the Father Quorum yeah. is the guy the from Game of Thrones. The white dude is Father Quorum and the black dude yes. is John Thaw. And in the book, he is not, like, he doesn't have to really be convinced as to doing these things. And Father Quorum is an old ass frail like, man. Like, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's falling apart. 
you barely walk. Yeah, they have this, it's supposed to be like this contrast, but now, like you said, it's really hard to tell those two characters apart. Yeah, my sister and I were watching it together and we were talking about how they're they're transitioning a lot of what John Fa kind of talks mm-hmm. to Lyra about yeah, those lines over to Fartacorum. Like, John Fa has not been in it that much, to be honest. Just make John Fa, I mean, like a major character. Last uh, episode, I was just like, yeah, I mean, they are doing, uh, like, diversity things. They're doing diverse things. But um, they could do better. They're trying. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was a little bit of an awkward moment that I commented on, but I don't think it's appropriate for this, but I was just like, that feels weird. But maybe it's because they're British, it's different? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't love that, you know, already on the third episode, one person, like, the the people who've been killed are mostly black, the reporter and the spy, you know, given our our title. Um, And yet, Tony lives, so... Mm. I wasn't... I wasn't... um, like upset about that i was just like well i mean john fa is supposed to have a bigger um presence than father quorum he is more of a magnemesis yeah so he's the king yeah he's supposed to be bigger at least mrs coulter is being given like a big role an even bigger role to be honest i think she's doing an amazing job with it i think she's definitely killing it like she's the one who's acting like yeah giving that like they let her off the chain and she just ran with it yeah and if you remember in last episode <laughs> when lyra was standing on the ledge coulter was like yeah i can i could never really deal with heights because i always have the urge to jump yeah i loved that moment because it's so ambiguous actually i made a two notes i made is one is that coulter being her mother was this the least surprising plot twist beating out <laughs> totally her agree. being Lord Ezreal's daughter. I literally was like, yeah, I knew that. I just it was not remotely surprising. Mm-hmm. And then also that Mrs. Coulter is now my favorite character. She's now become she's my favorite character it. in the she's show because I think character in the show. Yeah, I think she's. I mean, I think I think she's the best actor so far in the show. Honestly, yeah. Bruce Wilson. Um, she and is I think that good. for me that makes it like I really think this episode. She even though. I, I, she's the only character whose motives I'm not entirely clear of. So she's the mm. only sort of nuanced character right now for me. So she's the only person who I really feel like I don't. I, I want to know more about what she what she's doing, what her motives are, where she's coming from, why she's doing what she's doing. Um, and the other characters I feel are very pretty much just one dimensional in terms of their motivations so far. They're very, um, like, classic good. Yeah, exactly. And and Lyra, I mean, not necessarily classic good, but she's also a child who just wants to get her friend back slash, you know, is confused about her parentage. So yeah. not a lot. I mean, that can – that I'm sure she'll encounter more sort of morally ambiguous uh, decisions, but right now she, again, is – everybody's sort of very traditionally good archetype, you know – we are have to defeat the bad. So yeah, and then there's the bad who are you know like the the children magisterium. Yeah, right. But so far, Mrs. Coulter feels like really the only sort of. I mean, the Egyptians you could say maybe because they aren't you know they're they're spies or they've you know mm-hmm. are like quote unquote lower class, but they're still traditionally good, right? 
So, so far, she's my favorite. Yeah. I mean, you have children kidnappings on one side, but at least Mrs. Coulter seems like she has a plan, too. Like, she's in control, whereas Lyra... I mean, I know she's a kid, and I'm not faulting the actress, Stephanie Keene, at all, um, but it seems like they definitely gave her the directions, like, be sad, be angry, like, these very basic sort of emotions Mm -hmm. where, you know, she stomps outside, and this woman is like, you know, your mother is actually Mrs. Coulter, and she screams and cries, and I don't, I mean, I was a pretty reserved child, so I don't identify with it, but it also just seems, like, very obvious, like, Mrs. Coulter is the only one who's doing things in subtle and interesting ways, whereas the other characters are kind of reacting the way that characters, right. you know, if you asked someone on the street, like, how would you do this? This would be the obvious way. I, I, that, I mean, that's kind of a kid thing, though, right? Like, you, like, Lyra has literally been able to do nothing for the past few days, but just sit there and seethe about Mrs. Coulter. And now she finds out that she's, like, her kid. Like, that's, that'll fuck you up. I get it. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's true. And I think you can't really fault the any one particular thing. It's just that um, Ruth Wilson is doing so much better than everyone else. Right. Yeah. Like, she's actually making interesting choices and, like, you know, walking on the ledge and drinking a particular kind of scotch or whatever she's doing. Like, she is aware of the set pieces and her role in them in a way that it seems like everyone else is just kind of going along with the plot. I really liked the scene with Coulter and the master of Jordan because again, like Ruth Wilson killed that scene and it it made it very obvious. Like it, it really drove home the idea that like Coulter is the hero of her own story. Like she, she's talking about scholastic sanctuary and she was like, that's what I was going to ask about. That's bullshit. I'm going to tear this down just like I'm going to tear everything else down. So I actually had a question about that. That's the first thing I actually wrote down is, so we had, we'd heard the idea obviously of Scholastic Sanctuary in the first episode when, um, Lyra was brought to Jordan. Right. Um, but Mm -hmm. what exactly is it other than you have freedom to, to practice some sort of scholarly pursuits? And is it something that's granted by the magisterium or, um, and if so, is that just sort of an illusion or some sort of, you know, uh, sort of facade for something that's like, it's not a real sort of sanctuary. It's uh, it's a farce. I don't know. Like, what is it and who grants it and why is it uh, important? It, it's a show concept. Yeah. So they didn't super explain that in the books. And I don't think they did a great job explaining it in the show either. It's something that actually comes up in the next trilogy, the the Book of Dust trilogy, um, so the, um, when England was trying to, uh, break, a, break some of the power of the magisterium, they granted, they allowed for scholastic, scholastic sanctuary, um, and gave more power to people who were maybe not super pro uh. magisterium, but it's all, um, something that is in like the legal system of the country that they're in, you know, England and then, um, other countries around them. Uh, so mm. yeah, it's not super well explained, um, but it gives intellectual mm. freedom. Gotcha. Yeah. No, it's backed by the English government. Um, yeah. But yeah, they don't explain that. Um, yeah, I was, and I was wondering why when I was also like, is there actual, not jurisdiction, but is there actual, 
you know, legal power behind this idea? You know, is there some actual protections or is it just a philosophical concept? You know, I have no, I had no, I have no concept of that. So I had a question about why, um, master, the master would tell Mrs. Coulter, um, the truth instead of just being like, yeah, I don't know where Lyra is. Lyra could be anywhere. Yeah, he could have lied. I mean, I, he was under a lot of pressure. I think he loves, or at least like likes Lyra. Well, if if he had the if he had his life to lose and or nothing to lose, then why wouldn't he just be like, yeah, I don't know where it is. I bet. I don't know. Do you think she could have? I want. I don't think he gives a fuck if if Lyra's hurt. To be honest, yeah. I think I think he only had his life to lose if he lied. Honestly, well, I don't think he needed to tell her where the Alethea made it. Yeah, I'm was. confused about why he would admit that. Like, why not tell them it was with Lord Azrael? Because I think he'd rather try and stay alive than lose his life. Yeah, I I really like that scene, but I'm not sure about his choices. I mean, he did, like, he did and he didn't. Like, all he told her is that Lyra had it. He does not know where Lyra is. And I feel like she's the kind of person who could suss out a lie really easily. And if she found out that he lied to her, he'd be way more in danger than if he had told her the truth. Like, I feel like he'd be hauled off and tortured or, like, stuck in, like, a cell somewhere. She's got, she's got a minion who's not afraid to crunch demons. Mm. Um, my other, so I obviously watched this with my other friend that, um, also watched, uh, have, has read um, this series, and has the monkey ever talked to Mrs. Coulter? No, and the monkey never talks in the books. It's, like, kind of eerie. In the book, either? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I kind of wish the monkey were a little scarier. Pan is also missing from, like, the first, like, maybe 15 minutes of the show. They spent a lot of money on their CGI dogs, guys. <laughs> Those dogs, yeah, they're It's like, okay. it's probably so much easier to just take a trained dog. I don't know. You would think. They spent a lot of time on the dogs and on all of the demons and a lot of money in CGI, but I'm not sure that the dogs and the demons are interacting with their people. Like, I never see Lyra, like, holding Pan or cuddling Pan like she does in the books. It's not as intimate. Like, the only person who really interacts with their demon in an interesting way, again, is Mrs. Coulter, who is just, like... I don't know. She's just killing it. Um. <laughs> it was kind of interesting, like, it, again, like, an interesting character choice was, like, I think a shittier actor could have not pulled off. So there's a scene where Fartacorum is, you know, talking about demons to Lyra, talking about settling. He's like, oh, I never understood why Mrs. Coulter had a monkey demon. And then later, when the, when the spies are breaking in, you see her act in a very monkey-like manner. And and it could be so fucking corny, and I think she does a good job of it. It's still kind of weird, but it helps that at least you know that like, she's kind of drunk. When she fights him, and she's like, and she uses the back of her hand to like, yeah, she's like chest, sitting on his, yeah. she's like perched on his chest like a fucking succubus. I thought it had to do with like some weird sort of martial arts I didn't know about. Kind of. That was very weird. But it was like, it was like she was just slapping him. <laughs> He was very confused, wasn't he? It worked. I think it was just meant to show that she's in a kind of like slightly feral state. Yeah. Because she's guess. so like stressed out and like drunk. That's where Lyra gets it from. When she drops her guard, she is like her terrifying monkey demon. But it gives her like, she, I don't know. I think she pulls it off in a way that other people 
are not interacting with their demons and like making them seem like one person as opposed to a person with like this creature on their shoulder who sometimes talks. I was going to say, why wouldn't Lyra tell, well, I guess this is from the book perspective, but why wouldn't Lyra tell them about um, uh, the vents? Because she gets into it. She's dumb. She forgot. She also, like, told Tony about the drawer, but not about the fact that the the papers were behind the drawer. She's like, fucking I literally dumb made a shit. note. I was like, plan mostly fails because Lyra is bad at giving directions. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're trusting a 12-year-old or whatever, but still. Yeah, when you when you when they go to the uh, break in, why wouldn't Lyra tell them who uh, Mrs. Coulter is and like what her powers are and her capabilities? And why wouldn't she draw them a map? Like, I don't have any spatial awareness. I need a map. Like nobody asked, and she it probably just I don't know. Like you know, it just didn't really come up exactly. And she doesn't tell them about the monkey or the vents. <laughs> Lyra is also, like, she's very, like, quick, but she's not good at, like, long-term planning. You she's know? a like, big she's, idea. She's good person. at improv. Not a lot of follow-through. No, but my other question, well, not question, but sort of thinking off of that, why did they even need to go to the apartment if they knew everybody was headed north? Did they think she was going to write down who everybody was and where they, like, why did they... To pad out the episode. I know, but, but I mean, she did, which was stupid. But but why would you even think that that was a thing? Like, there was, there, you're risking people's lives for no reason. I think they needed to see more about where the plans were. Like, what exactly is in the North, what the building is like. I just wasn't sure what they gained and what they were hoping to yeah, gain. Yeah, I think it, it might have been a good risk, but it was also done by stupid teenagers. They were yeah, youngsters. Exactly. The youngsters went to the apartment. Not the old wise men. So they they made a dumb choice, and they got caught for it, and the spies were... They gained the exact knowledge that the kids were in the North, but they basically already knew that. Yeah, and I mean, it was a little helpful. They got confirmation, but... Yeah. Yeah, and I guess they have justification to go now, but they already had that speech where it was like, let's go get yeah. the children. So it did, like, I think it established... A lot in terms of the alethiometer, but it didn't. But it didn't establish a lot for the characters. Um, what it did in the episode, like plot-wise, was to say, "Oh, the it gives Lyra the chance to read the alethiometer, to know that someone has died, and to tell someone about it before they get the actual news, so that it proves that she's actually reading the alethiometer." And and in the book, like. There are two Egyptian people who go on a little mission and it all happens off camera. And and that is the first time that she realizes that she can read it. She's like, oh, it keeps going to this hourglass with the skull on it. I think they might die. And then like 20 minutes later, they get news. But it's no, it's not as dramatic. It's nobody we know. By the way, I had no idea that that was a, a skull with a, or a, a, Hourglass of the skull. I, I was like, yeah, I was like, is that a, at first? I was like, is that a very candle? Small I don't pictures. know what that is. <laughs> I was glad you said it out loud. I think it is meant to look like a candle too, though. Actually, 
But I also, she's like, it takes years to study this. And then she's like, snake, because he's a spy. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. So she's not going to be like, here's a bag of beans, because he <laughs> likes to eat beans. I don't know. I just, I felt like it was very obvious, but maybe that's just me in retrospect. I'm, I'm, uh, Monday, I'm like, what is it? Like, what is the quarterback thing? I'm armchair quarterbacking or whatever. It's more that, like, so the alethiometer is very much about a state of mind. Ah. Um, and, and like communicating with your mind the meanings that you want the alethiometer gotcha. to sh- to understand and then to get back in return, um, which they, they don't do a terrible job of showing that. But how do you spell alethiometer? A l i t h o m e t. Oh, I was thinking. E-R? See, that's actually that's interesting. So I I keep spelling it alethiometer like alethium, but it's not like that. Oh yeah, no, it's literally. Oh. Alethiometer. Uh, it means truth reader in Greek. Because I was thinking of like the underworld and truth, like the underworld. Oh. Like Elysium is what I was thinking mm. of. Oh, I had one more question. Um, I have many questions. You- oh, okay. Excellent. Well, um, speaking of um, the guards breaking into their, I guess, barge or ship or whatever it is. Um, can you train your demons to be sniffer dogs? Yes. Apparently. Because, well, and like the idea is like people who become cops, their demons are dogs because that is part of who they are. Oh, that's their And they don't, and job. like okay. in the book, there's this whole thing where like she's in a cedar wood chest and cedar makes demons fall asleep and it's literally never referenced ever again so i understand why they didn't bother going with that um but yeah i mean your demon is an extension of you and you're a magisterium cop so they're just like regular dogs which i mean they're your soul but also they represent the part of you that would be a sniffer dog um and so if you're really intent on finding someone if you would make a good police officer then your your demon would reflect that as as the literal animal yeah the magisterium cops by the way were dressed like like a cop that'd be down in the city right it was very weird because i know that they're everything is sort of out of time in this in that reality there was a lot of modern fashion in this episode but i was like that's a very modern looking cop costume the cops were super modern. Yeah. Uh, also very, very Nazi. Oh, I for yeah. sure got Nazi eyes. So part of that's because well, they had like, they had like dogs. Authoritarian vibes. Yeah. Mrs. Coulter was like wearing fucking bell bottoms at one point. Like right oh, at the end. Mrs. Coulter yes, is my fashion. she was. There's one point I made a note of this is not a question, but like Ruth Wilson's eyes matched her dress, which matched her like room, which matched the bedspread and all like everything matched. And yeah. I was like, this is aesthetic. She and always I wears love teal. it so much. It's all teal and I love it. Yeah. It's good. It's a great color on her. Uh, she also has the best looking pajamas in every episode. Yes. Oh, she so sure does. Comfy looking. They look so silky yeah. and comfy. Mm. Oh yeah, when she was God. walking down the hall and she was wearing those and she had that gun, I was like, God damn. damn this, girl. Is, this is what I strive for. <laughs> I was also like, um, that's not the right type of gun that you need to have for a home invasion. Sorry. I think it's a good choice. It's huge. A dope gun, but not a gun she should have had, but... Yeah. <laughs> but it was so symbolic. It's so phallic. It's yeah. huge and she's 
trying to live in a man's world. Like, it's the perfect gun <laughs> yeah. for her. I <laughs> mean, true. all guns look like penises. She's like scotch drunk, you know, hanging out on windowsills, pulling out her enormous gun. Walking on the ledge. Perfect. Yeah, actually, I had a question, and I don't know why why Mrs. Egyptian, uh, ex-wife of James McAvoy, what's her name? Ma Costa. That's not her, that's not his ex-wife. In real life, it's James McAvoy's ex-wife. Oh, okay. We covered this yes. last Ma, yes. Ma Coulter. Ma, uh, Ma Costa. Oh, Ma Ma so Costa. Sarah, I, I actually, okay, before you get into your point, I have something to tell yeah. you. So last week, you referred to Ma Costa as James McAvoy's ex-wife. And we all froze because we thought that you had predicted that Mrs. Coulter was Lyra's mom. And we all <laughs> tried to play it off really cool. And luckily you cleared it up, I think, like the next sentence and we moved on. Yeah. But we were all like, that's not his ex-wife. No, I figured, I figured, I figured that he banged her, like in the very uh, least. Yeah. There was, there, for her. me, there was no way that she, that kind of woman was going to bring a child into her house without having some sort of real ulterior motive that's not just, I mean, she would have minions take care of her. It's yeah, her daughter. Like, it, didn't, it was like sister. not remotely yeah. surprising. I was like, oh, wow. Um, but no, so Ma Costa, um, I don't know why she would be, obviously you have to um, doubt everyone's narrative of everything, right? Mm. Um but she was saying that she was um, she was shamed essentially because she had a husband, right? Uh, Mrs. Coulter, not Ma Costa, mm-hmm. um, and that she was shamed and like ostracized and blah blah blah. So my question is: Is she doing all of this because she was like slut shamed? And Lord Asriel kind of got off scot free because he's a dude. Well, he didn't quite get off scot free. So they took all of his land, they basically took his title and his money, so he was penniless and he had to start over. So he did get, he, okay. the magisterium did Well, his, his reputation seems like it's not hurt as much as hers, maybe? That's I true. don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, though, that they both kind of had to start over and they both had these projects that they were already interested in with dust, um, but they had to kind of claw their way back up in different ways. And so Lord Israel used the college system and Mrs. Coulter used the church. Yeah. Like I'm a ruined woman who made my way to the top. Right. So that's sort of, that's the moment where I was like, okay, she's so far now in the show, at least is my favorite character because even though she's doing evil shit or potentially evil shit, she is trying to control her own world after, I mean, she might have done some sketch things, including who knows what her husband was like. I don't know what her husband was like, but Rich. having an affair. What's that? Rich. Rich, but maybe he was a dickbag. I don't know. And dead. Well, was he dead at the time? Well, he's dead now. Well, he wasn't dead he's at the time dead. that she had that baby. No. But yeah. all that to say that she's like trying to create her own or her own world um, and, you know, you know, control her own destiny. And I respect the heck out of that, even though she's evil. What, I have one quick note. The Magisterium people did not walk on the grass. Yes, actually, the one of the first scenes I was like, it was from above, and I was like, okay, okay. I saw that. They don't respect individual freedoms, but they respect grass. Nah. Um, there was one point where um, bearded Lord of the not Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones guy, uh, <laughs> farter, father, farter, father, farter. Jordan. What's F-A-R. his name? What's it's F A R? F A R, yeah. So it is Farter? Yeah. No, stop. Yeah. That's his Corum. name. 
His name is Farter? Yeah. No, no, it's no, not. like F A R D E R, not not fart. Bob. He's the only one that goes by that though. F A R D E R, I believe. I don't know, but like Farter, later, like other F-A-R-T-E-R? characters who are Egyptians call him no, that. No, no, D. Like, like a father, but farter. Oh, with the D, not a T. Yeah. Oh, okay. So no. I'm thinking, not farter. No, no not farter. Who farts. Well, now he's farter to me. Okay. <laughs> um. So he's talking to Lyra, and he says she's asking about demons and you know that we talked about that a little bit last time but he she asks um about why demons have to settle and he just kind of was like they just do and so yeah. my question was um have there ever has there ever been somebody whose demon hasn't settled down hasn't settled before no there hasn't i mean unless um Phil, i mean philip pullman didn't super fill in the entire world oh. um and so it's possible but maybe it should happen i think they just settle on one yeah but i'm just saying is there is there anything not that not that's in the book that's what i'm saying well then she said what if you don't like it and he goes that happens that just means you're discontented i was like mm-hmm. well damn that's got to be like every single person <laughs> yeah, that's, he even says um, in the show, he even says, I kind of sometimes uh, imagine her as something else and then I see her yeah. or something like that. No, yeah, they're, they don't ever get into it. Everyone settles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. Like, it's meant to be a metaphor for, like, puberty and growing mm-hmm. up. And I I like that part of it, but also it's interesting to me now watching the show as a 30-year-old versus reading the book as like a 12 or 15-year-old and being like, no, you know, I'm not I'm not a settled person. Like I don't have a settled personality. Like I have a core personality that maybe the metaphor still works, but it's not totally like I'm not the cranky, depressed, hate everyone person that I was when I was 16. And so if I had settled, I would have been this like grumpy ass i don't know badger and now right that's not who i am so i'm not sure if the metaphor totally holds up but like what he's actually talking about is like childhood adulthood that that stark divide right. that stark right. line and that's kind of how he feels philip pullman so like i don't know if that's his philosophy like kind of makes sense but other than that um I'm not I'm not sure if I agree with it totally anymore, even though I really like the idea of demons. I have another question. Who is the hot priest? Okay. Not like who like why did we see him pre- Who is Moriarty? So Sarah, do you remember the candied head? Yes! Was that him? So the candied head, uh Azrael told the scholars that the candied head was this was the hot priest. So his name is so his name in Lyra's world is Stanislaus Grumman. But what we found out this episode Sexy. is that he is from what I'm gonna Earth. call our world. There's I'm gonna say yeah. our world and Lyra's world. Another world. Okay. Yeah. He is from our world. His name is Joe Perry, and he was in the military and has a family in our world, and that is who Boreal is going to look into. Uh-huh. Isn't it just like them to have families in both worlds and find <laughs> out later when they die and everybody shows up to the same funeral and it's real awkward. What is the show that is the hot, hot priest from? Fleabag. Fleabag. Fleabag, yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay. So, Stanislaw slash, slash Joe. 
is the priest and he has a record on earth how did how did her minion figure out that he was also on earth and then they said something about his demon like he didn't have one or something or the demon wasn't there on earth or did, does that happen did i make that up no you, I made that that's up right head? yeah in our world people don't have external demons even though they still have souls so boreal is looking for grumman uh, for Joe, Wait, who's because when do you remember he went to Jordan and he had snakes slither around and look at all the skulls? Yes, and he determined that that was not his skull. Oh, so the candy skull is somebody else's skull. It was somebody else's head. Okay. So that's when he goes over to our world and he starts talking to his informant dude, trying okay. to get him to find Grumman. Joe. Joe. But why did he? Why did he go to our world? I don't know why he knew to do that. Okay. Okay. He just did. He just had a Disguise hunch. Disguise the fact that there was this guy from another world who had come through, and uh, they wanted to make it look like he was dead, probably to hide him from something, um, but we don't know a whole lot more than that. Right. It just was weird that he went to this world and was like, hey, type into your computer and find my friend, and then facial recognition or something? I don't yeah. know how they found him. I mean, I him, suppose, like, him. it was probably his first stop, right? He's like, well... Just felt like a hunch. I might as well go know. over here. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's better than than having to see him do some really boring, like, mm-hmm. you know, guesswork that didn't turn out And to be fair, he did episodes. say that the coffee was better in our world, so maybe he just has a severe ca- caffeine addiction. That's true. <laughs> but then why wouldn't you just... Why would you be in Britain? <sighs> They do a lot of, they do a lot of, uh, I remember they gave me a lot of, like, packets. Yeah, it's either, like, instant or espresso. There's no middle ground. Yeah. (laughs) Americanos are the way to go. Not good. Sorry, Britain, but you do tea way better than we do. The coffee in Great Britain is like, hi, would you like trash made of water that we got from this pigsty? Oh, God, it made me want to die. I also want to know... Uh, how much the other world has um, on their expense report because he's just like, oh, this car that I rented has a boot yeah, on it, yeah. so I'm just gonna keep moving to another. Yeah, car. where does he? Where is he getting all his a money Tesla at this time? <laughs> that was actually funny to me because he was like, "What the hell is this? I don't understand this." And he's like, "Well, guess this car is so broken just gonna now." Tesla instead. I actually, I actually enjoyed. Like, is that. he also time hopping? Like. Did he, like, invest in Apple early or something in our world? Like, I don't... Yeah. Or you get his time hop to, like, the day before when before it had a boot on it. I don't know. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not It's not a time thing. It's just a space thing. So, yeah, he was probably super confused. He might be selling technology between the worlds because they're different. So, like, maybe he he seems like a genius. So, no, do you guys think that there's, like, an implication that... Like, our world's governments, like, know about these holes and are, like, kind of covering them up. Like, it just seems so convenient that there's this world hole in the middle of, like, downtown modern Oxford next to, like, a pumping station or something and nobody else has stumbled onto it. I feel like if the government knew about it, they would make it be, like in the MI5 building and they'd be carefully monitoring and controlling who came in and who came out or something. You know, I, I feel like it wouldn't be like, you wouldn't be able to just, you know, go to like the Tesco and walk in or something. It, like, it's weird that he seems to be able to just walk in and out, but it's so. Does he get to open it? It's just open all the time. It's just always. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's like a maybe it's like um a Grimald place where you can't see it unless you know it's there. Yeah, I don't I don't think the governments know about it because they're supposed to be really hard to find. Like they're like you stumble into them. You're not supposed to be able to find them. Yeah, but who would also go to the creepy greenhouse? Kids who want to get high. Yeah, so many, so That's many, true. so many stone high school kids. That's true. So many kids who want to make out. But they would so also many kids not who want to get tell high. anyone. So many people who want to garden. <laughs> but I think it. I think it's meant to be like there are these places in Oxford who that no one goes there, and it's so obscure. Yeah, and no one would believe them. Yeah. If they did tell anyone. Right. So it's like the government has the, like, the government would have to believe a bunch of stoned kids before they could take over multiple world mm-hmm. systems. <laughs> <laughs> Which mm-hmm. one of those things is likelier than the other. And it's definitely not believing the stoned kids. Were you high or drunk? <laughs> or both? Not me. Not us. I stepped through a portal in my apartment into Bijaya's house and I attacked her. So what would you, what do you guys think your demons would be now that we're at this, now that we kind of understand demons better? I think I have an answer for mine. I don't know. I don't, I don't have one yet, but I think I need to watch more of the show to mm. get a feeling for it. But I think mine would be either a dog. Oh, I would want, like I said before, I would want mine to be a wolf or a mm. dog. But what it would probably be is probably a coyote or a fox. I mean, she does always have ticks, too. No, then not a coyote. I think I would like to be a wolf. I can see that. You would like to be, but are you? I'm just kidding. Yeah. Because you would also like to lead a I pack like of dogs. I would like to be a wolf, but I would probably I be that. a dog, is mm. what I'm saying. Mm. I think, so, usually when, like, somebody asks you, like, you know, what, what would you be if you're an animal or whatever, uh, I say... Uh, I would be probably a monarch butterfly because I like but. to travel thousands of kilometers to fucking die. So I think that my demon would be a monarch butterfly. And you know what? You scare me. So it all fits together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truth. If you all didn't know, Sarah fucking hates butterflies. Yeah, we talked we about this last, that last episode. Week. Yeah. Do not care for them at all. At all. Yeah, I think I would probably be some kind of cat or badger, something that likes to stay inside and be grumpy. Sorry, this demon talk just reminded me of something, but if y'all, Sarah. No, go right ahead. No, I was saying, when the guy threw himself into the elevator shaft, his demon, like, we got to see it die. Dude, it does. Yeah. I actually kind of felt bad for that monkey. And it, it turned into sparkly little particles. Are you saying the dust? Yeah, dust. Remember dust? Yeah, I mean, it looked awfully dusty. It was sure dust-like. And I actually thought that was interesting, too, because the little monkey was like, oh. Yeah, ooh, pretty. Because we didn't really see it with the butterfly. There's a weird scene where the monkey goes into the room when uh, Mrs. Coulter is sitting on the bed Mm. And and is tearing their room apart. Yeah, well, that's some therapy. But I was I was wondering why seeing the monkey made her so like why that triggered it. Did it just snap her out of her sort of stupor? It feels like there was a conversation that we weren't privy to that was like implied, but it was a hard conversation to understand. It was like super emotional, but then we don't know what it was. It, and the monkey shut the door. I was like, what is going on? This feels weird and and. So I read it more as like the monkey sensed her anger and distress and went to like 
do its equivalent of comforting her, which is shutting uh, the door so she can tear a room apart. Well, that makes sense. I, I kind of thought it was like the monkey set her off. Like it made her angry. Um, like she doesn't have a good relationship with herself. And so when she's confronted by that, then she kind of goes nuts. Again, she's more she's more complex than anybody True. else in the show. She is. So far. Yeah, she's definitely the most gray. Yeah. And I have another final really important question. Okay. Uh, why did we get no James McAvoy this episode? Right? What was HBO trying to do? I was a little surprised, actually, because he's, he's really not in the book that much, but I was thinking they'd probably try to, like, get him in there more because he's James McAvoy. Yeah, you gotta maximize the McAvoy. Because we didn't see him last episode either, right? I don't think so. Yeah. Not much. No. Ugh. I need more of him. Do you all know that Lynn Manuel is only in one episode? Really? What? I'm pretty sure he's only in one episode. Because it looks like he's... I might be wrong. I hope no. I'm wrong. Yeah. That's terrible. Interesting. My sweet my sweet Lynn manuel I, I must have him in all the episodes, if possible. Why would you have so much James McAvoy and not enough Lynn manuel He's been Give such a focus of the want. marketing, too. Like, you'd think that they... I looked up the cast on IMDb, and I'm pretty sure it said one episode. Boo. Interesting. That's bullshit. I mean... They didn't give us James McAvoy. They're not giving us Lynn Manuel. Come on, guys, give the people what they want. We should have to look at old ass J.R. Mormon. Yeah, what the hell? And, and James McAvoy's haggard ex-wife. Ugh. Who looks like she has some kind of dope back tattoo? I'll give her that. She does. That is a great tattoo. I think that I think that's supposed. Isn't that supposed to be? Isn't that supposed to be the just a character? Because they all, the Egyptians seem to have. Yeah. I was trying to see if it said how many episodes Lynn was in. And how many episodes James is in. Now I'm looking, because now I'm very concerned. Sometimes IMDb will only, like, show the episodes that have aired, so. Do the episodes. Right now it's the only episodes that have, right now it's the only episodes that have aired. Because it says, it says James McAvoy's in three episodes, but it also says that, um, that, Anne-Marie Duff, a.k.a. James McAvoy's ex-wife, is in three episodes. So. Okay, so who knows? Oh, thank God. Okay, so we're still not sure how many episodes everyone has. Who knows? Whew. Life and happiness are restored to the universe. Interesting. But there's only how many episodes this season? Ten, I think? I think it's ten. So, yeah. so you know, we're nearly yeah. halfway there already. I'm excited for the next sort of storyline because um, we go to the north and like, yeah, we see Lin-Manuel and like just you get the the world really expands and there's a lot of really inter- like fun, interesting things, especially like more fantastical things that happen in the next arc. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is, is are we when I mentioned the the speech earlier about, you know, them trying to head to the north and the witches, are we supposed to know what's up north yet or no? Not really. No. Okay. I mean, I saw the previews and I saw the trailer for the the movie, so I'm assuming it's giant polar bears. Yeah. Oh, it is. That have armor. That have armor yes. on and they talk. Who can talk? Yes. And they were Ian McKellen, but are not yes. now. <laughs> now they are some Icelandic guys. Oh, that that's good. pretty cool. Though. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody's gonna be in a polar bear, it's gonna be an Icelandic person, right? And it like they're they're effectively going to like Norway. Cool, cool. Can get behind that. Yeah, I really love the fantastical elements of this show so far. And it's really, like, yeah. to Sarah's point, it's really hard it, to understand 
what's going on, but that's because it's in that older vein where it's like all these characters and all these people who are just like, Philip Pullman was like, hey, I want talking bears. And it's really cool. Yeah. But then they're okay, but there's demons, but then there's also actual animals who talk and have a society and there's witches. Yeah. But if I have a book and it has magic in it, I'm going to put witches in it. I mean. They're all hot babes too. So. Yeah, I think it's in that it it taps into something like Steph has read Brandon Sanderson. So they're like magic now this in this era, like it's all very systemized and like there are these grand schemes and Game of Thrones, like everything has to make sense. But like this comes from an older era when like yeah, Philip Pullman like, throws spaghetti like against this, the I'm fantasy wall. And like, why wouldn't I want witches? Why wouldn't I want bears? Why wouldn't I want whatever? Yeah, there's not a real, you don't need to have a reason for a talking polar bear. You, yeah. You're just like, this is my world. This is how it is. Deal with it. Yeah. Doses. You kind of like Phil that. Pullman out. Which is, I guess, which is, I guess, maybe why I thought that this was older than it is. Mm. Because it's I feel before like a lot, that, like, era. Yeah, because I feel like even a lot more. I don't read a lot of. I don't read a lot of modern fantasy, but like I engage with it, and I'll watch like TV shows, and they usually have these really elaborate systems and blah blah blah. Not that um, not that you know, Tolkien didn't have very elaborate you know language and systems, but at the same time, it has that sort of feel of like this is just how the world is, and this is why. Yeah, and I because I say so essentially, no deeper reason. Yeah, it's very different. And it's just very maybe, like, which is nice. Yeah, he didn't figure it all out ahead of time. He's all just like, this is what I'm doing, and they're like, if there are loose ends, that's fine. We're just gonna right. do what I want and present the ideas first, and then if you need to figure out more, like why do demons settle exactly? How does that work? You know, you figure right. it out. It's it's a world. It's not meant to be totally make sense. Like, right. Our world totally doesn't make sense. So I can kind of see that. Like, I'm not upset about that. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a fair thing to criticize because I feel like I, f- I feel that is one thing for me as an I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm concentrating on so hard of trying to figure out what's happening or because I know I have to like think about it and answer questions about it later, you know, or ask questions about it later. But it does feel a little bit less magical than I thought it was going to feel Mm. um, in that nothing. And I mean, that again, just could be an oversaturation of fantasy, you know, fantasy world TV. You know what I mean? It just doesn't feel like I'm not discovering crazy, amazing things every, you know, five seconds. I'm not, I'm not Harry walking into a giant, a tent and saying, I love magic. I don't know. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just approaching yeah. it. Yeah. That classic line from yeah. Harry Potter. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, maybe just because I'm being more rational about it. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, and it, the problem with the adapting the book is like, do you have do you have to present the world exactly as the book is to satisfy those fans, or do you have to create the sense of wonder for the new people? Like, how do you merge those? It's a hard thing. I think they're 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 getting better at it as the episodes go on. So I think I think it's going better. Yeah, it's hard to capture that sense of like amazement and this right, is all new because right. we've all seen Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder. Maybe maybe next episode with polar bears, I'll feel differently. I don't think you'll be the next episode. What the polar bears? Yeah, yeah, they were in well, the preview for next week. Oh, I didn't watch the preview. Oh, 
Oh, Lynn, wow. Oh, Spoiler Lynn, alert. Lynn was in it. Polar bears were in it. Yeah, I don't have any other questions, I don't think. I think that's where I kind of landed was, why are we headed north? Where is James McAvoy? Why is it on his body? And and uh, the hot priest, what's with him? Those are my questions. And we we answered all of them. I like all those questions. All will be revealed, hopefully. Yeah, so before we finish, let's say um, what we think, what, what rating we would give this um, show. So what, what demon is it? Uh, for me, I think it would be like a songbird, some kind of chickadee, like it's learning to fly. It's not very big. It's not very loud. It's not very skilled, but it's trying. It's getting there. We like it now. It's, you know, it's a likable creature and it'll get up there. You know, it can still fly and it'll get bigger. It's interesting because I was actually also going to choose a bird, <laughs> but I was going to choose an owl because they feel like the most pedantic of the animals. And I feel like this was a lot of splaining. Oh. And I was like, you might be, I think you're smart and I think you're saying a lot of things, but I'm not picking it all up, owl. I was going to uh, uh, pick a ferret for no reason. Um, oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I give this episode a big old python. Because when you look at it dead on, it doesn't look like that much. And then if you kind of get off to the side, there's actually quite a bit there. So let's go around. Anybody want to plug anything or give us your uh, Twitter handles and where we can find you? Bajaya. Oh, I was going to say listen to Potter Pod. You're Wizard Harry. Oh, um, mine is Ethnic Ninja. My handle is at HerLadyTompkins. Follow me for anxiety dreams. I'm. You can find me at Steph o. Kingston and also on the Love to Hate podcast and the SHU podcast. You can find Christina at OLaddieGirl on Twitter and she writes many, 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 many book reviews for GeeklyInc.com. And they're all excellent, so go check those out. Uh, I don't think we have a sign-off for this show, so... Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you.
Thank you.